It's up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fish on Friday and it's a Erdinger o'clock moment. Started spinning discs. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Matthew Grip, hi, Laura Bittman Ward, hello, Josh Corner. Uh, Adrian Mason, Stuart Lemon, Neil Quarrell from Southampton, Alan Copleston, and the uh, Samantha Lil, and the Red Five Shilling from Plymouth, Samantha Little Maidenhead, Greg Haylett, Chris Harris, hello again, mate, Callum Jameson, Paul Cavanaugh, Lee Brown, Neetish, Neetish Lecker, Ausstuttgart, good Abend, Fies, ganz good here. David Day, just Oliver, Marina Buru from California. Gary Simpson, hello. Mike Freeburn, hello, mate. Belfast. Yes, here we are. Another Friday. It's getting quite strange, actually, because I'm, um, um, it's getting like doing a gig now. <laughs> like, I've actually got, I've got routines that, you know, on, on, when I'm on a gig day, when I come from the bus. And I go into the backstage area. Like the f first things that I do, are, like can I get empty my bags out and I get my stage clothes and I hang my stage clothes up with the hooks and stuff. The, the previous night's previous the previous night's t-shirt is normally a bit damp, so everything's all hung up in hangers and drapes and my scarves and stuff. The lyric book's taken out, put it on the table. The, no the roadie notified that the lyric book is on the table because that is the bible. And then it's kind of, it's wash, shower, shave, da-da-da, et cetera, et cetera, breakfast and things. And then before gigs, you know, this is a similar routine. It's like, you know, I have my shoes where they're supposed to be. And then I put things on, you know, the scarf, make sure the lyric book, tidy things up. And that's what I've got like now. It's, now it's like put the computer on, make sure there's no updates going to be coming in and shit that's going to disturb me and tech that's going to really disturb me. And then, you know, it's getting the phone, putting everything up and getting the, getting the place all tidied out, getting... My Erdinger poured without too much froth in the top. I've got my notes here. I've um, and on a Friday, like you know, as I said, on a gig day, you know, I listen to the track has been nominated, and uh, by a long shot tonight, it's uh, Long Cold Day from the Fellini Days album. So uh, I was reading up a bit about that, and some things I forgot about. And I thought I was going to have to phone up people and go like, "What happened? What? <laughs> what was that?" But I referred to the sleeve notes on the Fellini Days remaster, and it jolted my mind. But. Uh, so Clock Moves Sideways uh, took a, a, a big smackeroonie of votes tonight. And um, some people are still not getting it. You know, when I put the five songs up, you just put up, just tap like or put a bill hug or whatever, right? And it counts. And then that's what I count down in the five. Whereas some people are going down and go down the line going like Manchmal and putting song names further down. Just the top five. I don't know what new song, <clears throat> I've not decided what new song I'm going to play tonight. It was... Uh, I'll just see what you think, see what comes in on the line. Alistair McCritchie, and he's David Montgomery, hi from Oklahoma, Andy Chamberlain, Ipswich, Anya Sunshine Miller from Hamburg, Scott McDonald from Boston, Clive Goodwin, uh, Derbyshire, hello again, Clive, uh, red wine time. Good evening, Tony Horsworth, 
Martin Cullen, Geneva Artu Arturova from Sicily. Greetings from Somerset, Lee Ford. Trevor Byford, Michael Mosher from Connecticut. Uh, GW Admiral from Holland, John Watson, Calendar. Uh, Joseph Rodriguez from New Jersey, Montreal. What's the Montreal? Eric Deshenes, Kimberly Karamis, Ohio. America is coming online. It must be CNN adverts. Lad. So um, this is the house. I've got to show you this. Yeah. We had um, um, the vinyl arrived, as you know. So this week we had to get um, it packed because we've got the release date, which is the 25th, by the way. It's the 25th. It's not kind of any other time. Please stop sending an email saying my Velschmerz album has not arrived yet. It was a pre-order. Pre-order. Right? These are the orders. This is it. This is... This is our house now. This is our house now. Right? This is the vinyl. It's even stacked underneath the table. All the way around here. Table. Everywhere. These are all vinyls of Elchmerz. All packed and ready to go. That's a phenomenal amount of packing. Um, the standard CDs are pretty much packed as well. Some people have been saying... <coughs> some people have been saying, you know, why haven't you sent them out yet? Why haven't you sent them out yet? We've, we've, had to, we've got to pack them, right? We've got to pack them. We had to buy labels. So we've got, you know, do not bend labels, and fragile stickers for all the vinyl ones and things. So that, you know, just the package is good. Someone had chose it. And... Uh, it, it's sturdy and they're all being they all work we've thrown them about a little bit and they're good you know so <clears throat> we had the guys in um the guys came in with with four of them round actually and uh it was really strange because we had to like deal with all the rules so the veluxes were all open up in the roof the fans were spinning up in the roof spaces we had the french doors open the kitchen door open and there was four of them were working in here. And that was um, my stepson Liam and uh, Charlie, uh, Jamie and Jonathan. And uh, you can see them, if you look at the Facebook page, you'll see the video of what it was like at the end of the day. But they did amazing. And um, what we have to do now is this is all ready to go, right? And I'll show you what happens next. So I'll tell you in a minute, but these, all these get put up where Printer sticks, sticker printers, sticker printers, sticker printers, print stickers from the printer. And uh, we have electronic customs art stickers and CN22 stickers for all those living outside the UK, and they've all got to be put on along with a do not bend and da da da. And then that, those are called yuckies, and they turn into great big trolleys. They've got bags that go over them to keep them waterproof and everything, and they get all marked up and go out. The five things sitting in front, by the way, are my Virginia creepers that arrived just a couple of days ago. I've got a great deal in them and I want to plant them around the house so I can turn the house red in the autumn. <laughs> but it was cool. Garden's bro. All the cauliflowers and cabbages and everything. The sunflowers are, oh, they just, they just make me smile. It's just, you know, you see them just nodding out there. It's just, they just make you smile. It's great. And um, but I'm really pleased with the way the kale and everything's coming on. 
And I told you before about what I was doing with the carrots, not going for what they say on the on the not going for what they say on the packet. So I stuck some carrots in in the barrels. And they're really loving it. So I'm defying a little bit of um what people say, but some of you have got gardens that probably knows this kind of crap going on. Serious amount of slugs. And they're all going for the bird feed. So it's uh but I let them go because they're leopard slugs. Slugs, you know, <clears throat> can be good sometimes. So I've let the big leopard slugs go and I've got bits and pieces already planted up. That because I put the name of slug treatment on it, it should work okay. So it's, um, but yeah, but the slugs are going around the bird seed. I went out the other night, there was about 20 of the bastards, all kind of by the path. You do not walk out in bare feet for a midnight pee before, just in case the toilet's otherwise occupied. It's um, not a pleasant feeling standing on a slug in bare feet. But yeah. So anyway, <coughs> as I said, with Jamie Jonathan, <coughs> Liam and Charlie here, and uh, all masked up. Everybody, as I said, was all distance. Two of them were working at one table, two of them were working at the other table. And uh, Rab was about bringing stuff in. Someone who was through in the office, my mum was through in her sanctuary, and I was kind of basically in the control room and, and, and floating. And, um, but they'd done a great job. So basically, like I said, the vinyl's all, all packed, and we've decided that we're gonna start sending out as of Monday. Um, the reason, the, one of the principal reasons is that um, there are rumours kicking around that we might be going into lockdown here. It's, um, it's just rumours, but we're just anticipating. I mean, again, one of the benefits of being kind of a small independent company, small independent unit, we can make decisions on the balls of our feet. And on the balls of our foot, feet, we've decided that we're going to start posting it as of Monday. The deluxes do not arrive until the end of next week, right? So what our plan is to do is to get the vinyl out, start moving the vinyl out, get all the little stickers on them, get them moving on to the Yorkies, get them, them out and running, get the standards out and running at the same time so we can run two different teams, one standards, one vinyl. So we'll get them stickers. So they will go in the post next week and as soon as the deluxes arrive on, I think it's Wednesday or Thursday, right? Um, we just turn everybody around in a package in deluxes and then we start moving them out. We can't post at weekends. We don't have the ability to, to go through post at the weekends. So it's a, it's a Monday to Friday job. So basically from Monday, they're moving, right? And we need to clear our feet here as well. But it's, but it's working, you know, everything, you know, touching off the wood, Everything is kind of going according to plan. But as I said, with the threat of this, this lockdown coming in, I don't want to risk losing my, my little team because we need them here. And rather than, you know, put them on stall for two days, we're just, we just decided let's move the albums now. So, uh, and it doesn't matter because, I mean, I don't have a chart position, but I mean, some people say, well, why haven't you sent them out already? It's because it's marked as a pre-order on the site. And as soon as we take pre-order out of the software and it goes live, then it changes the whole ballgame because people can order other items with the, the, the new Velchmans albums. And I don't want to, and we did not want to get the thing confused between Velchmans orders 
and being able to basically roll a lot of the Velschmidt stuff out, you know, like fast and, and deal with it as singular items. That's That was our aim. Because as soon as we get mixed packages, it means that Simona and other people have got to go through mixed packages. And with the social distancing, it just slows everything up. And that is why we have the pre-orders just as being pre-orders of Velschmerz only. But as soon as we untick that pre-order pre button on the, the computer through there, then it goes live. And as soon as it goes live, then we get multi-packages hitting us. But we will be aiming to get all of these out in the first kind of week, two weeks. And I'm, fingers crossed, we should be able to get pretty much everything out by not the end of next week, but the end of the following week. That's, that's our aim, right? It's to break the back and get rid of all the pre-orders. And we're, then we're live and we're dealing with it and we go into a whole different ballgame. Please do not write to us and ask where your pre-order is. Do not, right? It's like if you've got tracked and signed for, right? if you've got the track signed for option, right? You will be sent an email when the, the, when the album is, is processing goes in the mail and you will get your tracking number. It's up to you to track it, not us, right? That's why you get sent the tracking number, right? Follow the instructions on the, on the tracking number pages where, where it says, you know, how to go through the different postal things. But... If you've not ordered Tracked and Signed For, please do not email us and ask us where your album is because once it's gone from here, we don't know. We've got a record of when they go, but do not write and ask us two days after you know we open up, where's my album, right? Please be patient. We're under a lot of stress and we're under a lot of pressure here to get through this. And we do not have the time to just answer we emails asking, like, I've not got it yet, where is it? I ordered it three days ago, right? Do not do that, right? Please, right? It's mutual appreciated, though, right? So, we're in order, we're in line. Everything's kind of, everything's sweet. Happy with the way everything's going. Things are arriving from Profact in Holland on time. The reviews in the album that you're probably seeing um, already, I mean, it would, it's just that all nines out, nines out of tens and 8.5s out of tens. The lowest I've seen seven, the lowest one. There's only one of them. And I think it was begrudged. <laughs> but yeah, it's getting great reviews and Parties Over is, is picking up plays. The one thing I was, I was reminded, right? It's like, again, the circle of life. Right? It was like, you know, when you look back, Market Square Heroes were to take out Antichrist and then Garden Party were to take out fucking, right? So to replace it with rucking, right? Oh no, I can't remember what I replaced it with, but it was something else. Anyway, I was a, anyway, so that was the first album. And here we are on Veldschmerz, so my last album. And I completely forgot about it, right? And it was like, on the opening line of this party's over, um, you know, it's got uh, enough of all this bullshit. <laughs> I'm calling it a day had enough of all this bullshit never thought anything about it and the single goes live it's going out we're sending the, 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 the wives to, to radio stations and things <laughs> and uh, Amanda who does as the press does the, the, the radio for me came back and said um, do we have a clean version and I'm going a clean version right this is this What's dirty about it? You know, and it's like clean. Is like, is there a is there a mark on the file or something? Is you know, and uh, then it was like you know, she said 
Some people have come back and said they don't like the word bullshit in there. So, bam, 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 alarm bells, da, 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 full turret swings, like, you know, engines reverse. And then Callum, who's an absolute brilliant man, right? Didn't even waver. We just, we were going, but we, we can't find another word, right? And I wasn't into replacing another word, right? So we just thought, let's make it obvious. So we said, let's just use two Dave Jackson whistle notes. <laughs> and that's what we've done. And it's been hard enough. It's, um, it sounds different, but it's like, you know, it's, it's our compromise. It means that we get played on the BBC. Well, that's what it's all about, getting played on the BBC. <laughs> yeah. And I thought... I thought bullshit will be fine. You know, it's not as if I'm using, you know, the FZ word or anything like that. It's like, you know, it's... it's um, but no, but we changed it. And thank you very much, David Jackson, for lending us again two whistle notes, which we used to save the day. And that all happened in a space of kind of two hours in the middle of interviews and in the middle of everything else that was going on here. So it's... it's um, but like I said, we just learn how... Because we are how we are, we can react relatively quickly, you know? Although the emails, it becomes like the it becomes like the, the Facebook thing. It's the spinning dial of emails. Then I request for this request, request. Can you do this? Blah blah blah. But yeah, so there's a, a whole load of email, uh, a whole load of interviews um, uh, this week, and um, and Mark Wilkinson's been putting together the, the the adverts for the the German magazine. So he's been taking the quotes, and like I said last week, we've got brilliant quotes. <laughs> But we've got to watch now because we're taking quotes from magazines and some of the magazines don't like the quotes from other magazines being on the advert in their magazines. So we're having, there's all this going on. So Daniel across in Hanover is, is doing a phenomenal job. Hi, Liam. That's, uh, here we go. Let's go back here. Victoria, a lot of bit of I'm telling you, you have to spell all this out on your page. Uh, <laughs> Dave Johnson, uh, Fee, Myhill, Norfolk, Letter Barton, Oswald Street, Shropshire. Yes, we're all having nice little posts, little wind-up posts. Where's my album? Yeah, yeah. Look at this, see? Fish singing, swinging, not taking the hooks. Frank, Oligus Gears, great name. Greetings from Germany. Friesoyther. Matt Daniel, Lyric Wizard thing I'll deal with another time. Uh, Rich Wright, lecture top 10 on memory in the late 80s last week. You were very restrained from the constant fish. Yeah, I did this Sky programme and it was like, oh God. And I was sent, I, I saw the, the, the leads on, on, on the TV, you know, the kind of the TV guides. And it had Merillion um, lead singer fish or whatever. And I just went, oh, for God's sake, right? And I'm going, you know, 30 odd years. Is the penny not drop check? Right? And then when I actually did it, it was a really awkward program to make because I had to film myself on the iPhone as I'm doing here, right? I had to film, right? And your aging lead singer type, right? Then I had to take that and transfer it across to I get it from iCloud and iCloud onto something else and then get that sent down. So I had to do all that. And Simona had to be on the other side of the camera and she had to edit a play and pause so they could get my reactions. Well, yeah, they're my favourite singles, Phil Collins, in the air tonight, blah, 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 right? And then Hayley, the other person, Hayley Palmer, I think her name was, 
she did her thing, right? But they filmed her separately and then they joined it all together. So basically I was just sending it down, you know. And when we did the interview, I said right at the start, I left the band 30 years ago. You know, can we please can move on, right? And, um, you know, I'm not... It, 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 not only does it piss me off, it pisses, like, you know, the Marillion guys off, right? And, you know, and fans get uptight about it. You know, it's like, just learn it, right? And then I, I watched it a couple of days later. I put it on record and I watched it. And, like, I just went, God, it's like, all the way through it. Marillion lead singer Fish. It's like, you know, you despair sometimes. You really do, you know? No. No. Sasha Wilhelm's the up cleaning, cleaning the head, yes. Sjot Majeur. Laura Bell, yeah, yeah. Richard Stott. All right. Victoria Akatonica. Oh, I, I, Victoria Akatonica El Harrison. Hello. That is a, that is a name. <laughs> uh, I'm just going down here to see what there is. Um, Craig Chip Lyle, Arizona, originally from Aberlady. Brilliant. Where I got married. Where Simone and I got married. Kevin Conker. Yeah. Tuso de Martini, how many pre orders did you get? We're doing okay. It's been. I was glad that the PayPal option came in later. Like I said, I mean, we had problems getting that page sorted out for payment and people were, because it said pay with credit card, people went, I don't have a credit card, I don't have a credit card. And then, so that was all sorted out and I, I was glad that we brought in PayPal when we did because a lot of people bought on credit card and debit card and sussed it out and it's kind of softened the wave as if we're sick of hearing that word. It's that the PayPal created the second wave. And, um, and yeah, that's what happened. So... As soon as PayPal went up, a lot of people came in on the back, the people that didn't have debit cards and credit cards and things. So it's kind of softened the blow a little bit for us. So now we're able to get through this section here. But I think we've done about 5,000, four and a half, five thousand 5,000 deluxes. And about, I think we sold about 3,000 uh, standards. And surprisingly, we've got about, we've sold over... I think it's just short of 1,500 vinyl, which was outstanding. It's, it's a lot more than I thought, uh, that I thought we'd sell, and I've, we only have 3,000 here. So I'm a little bit nervous, and I'm going to have to make sure that if once this PayPal wave comes in, once it starts moving, if we start to see that vinyl drop, then I've got to put in another uh, another order for that. But we know that the, the, the deluxes, I've got 15,000 of them sitting in, in, in storage on the farm. So uh, it's like they're all kind of, they'll be okay. The deluxes are the hardest to put, to, if I'm going to do a rerun of the deluxes, it's going to be the toughest because to make the slipcase and the hardback book and the 100 page item, the discs are easy, but it's the actual slipcase and the hardback books. I mean, the slipcase is hand machined. So it's, um, that takes a little bit longer. So I've got to be very careful and also I have to put in a big order because it's a very expensive item to 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 get if I'm if I'm doing all, um, doing small runs. In fact, it's impossible to do small runs. Dallas Jackson, Pacifica, California. I hope you're doing okay, mate. I've been watching the news and seeing what's happening in the West Coast. And as an ex-forestry worker, it's like it's it's scary, you know. It's um, 
I only fought a couple of fires when I was in forestry and none of them were anywhere close to that kind of size or breadth. I mean, it was, it was you know, it was, it was creepy. I mean, I used to, it was one of the things I used to do because my wages were so crap in the forestry commission and I got a chance to do overtime. And uh, I used to get sent up a tower on the, the top of, uh, it was looked across Craigellachie Forest. And um, and I used to go up there at about um, at seven o'clock in the morning, and from seven o'clock in the morning, I climbed up all, I drove all the way up to the top of the hill through the forest, which was great because it was like I, was, I had my my thirteen hundred escort, and I was going up the forest walk, I'd go up the forest roads, which were like rally roads, and I used to like really scream up there. It was great fun, and um, and I went up to the tower, and then I climbed up to this tower. It was about sixty feet tall or something. And um, it was this little box with a phone in it. <laughs> I was like, what was a phone? And 1950s porn mags from a previous occupant of the, the, the fire shelter, and, uh, or the, the fire tower. And, uh, and in the fire tower, you had all these markings all the way around it, and it showed you where all the forests were and, and the different hills and everything. And if you, if you saw any smoke, the idea was that you phoned up the, uh, the, the, the forest commission office and, and you did that. And you get phone calls every now and again because they'd be checking to make sure that you're you're not in the pub, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all cleared in here. Chink, 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 chink. <laughs> so yeah, so I used to phone up bar. What I used to do was I used to phone up the Alan Freeman show and everything and try and put requests in, and I phone up my girlfriend and things and like, and uh, and it was there was nothing else to do. You just sat in a fire tower and looked about and just hoped you didn't see any smoke, and you really hoped that you didn't see any smoke anywhere near you. <laughs> But yeah, it was just thermos flasks and tin tuna sandwiches and shit like that, you know. But yeah, it was um, that was my days in the fire tour. But I mean, uh, but yeah, but I, and I always wanted to go to Oregon, and it was like, I remember seeing movies when I was at the Bush Estate that were because my forester Bill Brown had been out there. They'd done an exchange course, and he had all these amazing, amazing uh, um, um, film reels. All uh, the the woods out in round about Oregon and things and and uh, British Columbia and stuff. And I always I've always wanted to go there and and see the timber. And it's just so sad just watching it all go up in flames. And I was reminded, you know, about uh, back and I watched the, the the video for Blind to the Beautiful and it was like God, you know. And I mean, Blind to the Beautiful could have been it could easily have tapped on on the Velchmerz album, you know. Uh, Da da da, Robinson, Robinson, Fogaka, Fujaka, Fujaka, da da da, Promistasos. Chas Jones. Ingrid Thomas, feel a bit like Eurovision Song Contest here, but hello from Bergen, Norway. What's your votes on the album? Yeah, it's going to be weird because next week there will be some of you who have the album, right? Next week there will be some of you who already have the album. Pierre Bellini, Tony Rich. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not signing them, but yeah, it's the right decision. I couldn't have done it. We could not have done this as a signed album. And I've actually decided I'm not going to sign these albums. It's. Uh, I'll explain more another day. I understand. Oh, also, Mark, I missed that one. Dura Kavaleva. 
Jean-Paul de Beger, yeah, good, yeah, that'll be there. Mark Walton, Grimsby, where you used to land fish, yeah. It's like, see, the news this week, it's just been mental. Um, for those of you, if you remember, um, I was, I signed on a petition, which was basically because the BBC had decided, and BBC Scotland had decided that they weren't going to show the, the coronavirus updates from the First Minister and the Scottish Government. And there was a lot of very pissed off people up here. And eventually 54,000 people signed um, a change.org thing, including myself and some of you. Thank you very much for signing it. And they've done a complete U-turn and we now have the briefings back, which I'm kind of glad. Because, I mean, even just here in uh, Forrester's pub up at Path Ed that I used to drink in when I was younger, it used to belong to somebody who was the father of somebody who was at school and eventually ended up in his hands. Um, up at the Foresters, there was, I think it was nine people or something um, were tested positive, and that's only 10 miles away and stuff, and it's just, you know. Yeah, I mean, as I said, with, with the rumours, that's why, you know, I've decided to, to put the album out now and, you know, get the album going on as of Monday. As I said, there's no post this weekend, so this is my last weekend before the storm breaks. So um, on Monday it will be going... Uh, God, Simon Farquhar, you're, I missed that one. It's gone by too fast. I'm spinning up the lines. Something about Creality. Farquhar Corner's coming up. Andy Scott, was the first tower up Ben Eigen? No idea. Right. I can't remember. I need to go back up there. I've got to go up there and see Peter. Was, I need to talk to somebody, get some of the brain cells kind of readjusted and refocused. Um... Catherine and Marge, hope I haven't missed too much bathroom ceiling issues. Bathroom ceilings is bathroom tiles. I'm still waiting on somebody to come up and, and investigate the tiling situation. Uh, uh, oh, you've noticed the teddy bear. Uh, this is kind of, it's part of the introduction of Clockmore Sideways. John Yuri, you ever get to Oregon? You must come and see Crater Lake. Yeah, talking about America. You know, just to make it even more difficult, um, they threw up the cost of uh, work visas by, I think it's I think it's close to 60%. So uh, our work visas for America have just gone up by 50, 60%. If I was coming over, it's just another hit. But I mean, it just makes it more and more difficult all the time, you know? Yeah, I, I got that news through this week, so. Chris Harris in Washington, Oregon, which are incredible, fond memories of North Bend. Uh, Terence Quinlan, yep, all good with the family, mate, from Lincolnshire, thank you. Rain over in Scottish Columbia, yeah, yeah, just like I said, it's weird, it's just really strange weather. I mean, uh, my tomatoes are still, I, I threw the heater on, as I said, and, and, and took the kick on the on the bill, but uh, I put the heater up a little bit, it's helped, but the melons are still there. Next week, we might do melons live and just see what they're like. <laughs> Melons in Scotland. Yes. Neil Bois, Sean Machel. Piotr Velomonsky from Warsaw, Pregesha. Hello. Hope you do well. Radek Benetka, Ray Hosvey, Chelduzen, Domi Debu, Erfin Rafai. Why did you choose Welchwerts as the album name? It's, no, Welchwerts. Um, it's Pain of the World. And uh, I've, I've said this many a time, it was because of 2015, when I came up with the idea, it kind of summed up how I was kind of feeling 
at the time, which was kind of really sensing world pain. And I've known the word for a long time, and I thought it was a perfect word. It's been explained in other states and in other interviews, perhaps more eloquently. That's a quick one there. John Watson, happy to wait for a deluxe box set, even though it takes several weeks. It shouldn't. I'm, I'm really, you know, fingers crossed. That's another reason why if we get, if we start moving stuff out on Monday, if there is a, 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 a pinch situation that happens at Royal Mail, then we might just get by it and just get the, 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 the bulk out. So, Mark Skinner, hi from East Yorkshire. Sean Holiday in Cumbria. Irfan Rafai from USA. Uh, Greg Hale. Boris has just announced the UK is in a second wave of COVID. I've not seen that unless that's just breaking news. But I mean, uh, you know, I think everybody knew that was coming if it is. This, um, will the album be on Spotify before we have the hard copy? Yeah, it should be. Uh, I, I think it launches on Spotify on the 25th. It goes out all the streaming, all the streaming platforms will have it. So people will be able to buy streams if they don't want to buy the physical product from fishmusic.scot. But, uh, but yeah, but it'll be on Spotify as well. Actually, we picked up, uh, I think it was three Spotify playlists, like big ones, and a Deezer playlist for um, uh, This Party's Over, which was good. It's getting a really good response. You know, even even with the word bullshit in it, it's getting a great response. John Wilson, if you write a novel, will you get Mark Wilkinson to design the book cover? I don't know. It depends on what the book's about or whatever. I've got no idea. But yes, I mean, we're not planning on like being, you know, strangers in the future. Pip, can I... Hello, Scotland from Catalonia. Hiya. Avril, my church can't wait for next week. Hope our copy's heading to London. Yes, you'll get your wee copy, Avril. Don't you worry. Uh. Uh, oh yeah, Tommy Frank. Are you surprised that Mick Wall doing the spoken words tour with Francis Rossi? No, and I knew about that quite a while back because Mick and I have uh, remained friends. And um, Mick did uh, um, he was the interviewer on the Clutching at Straws um, documentary. Um, oh God, me! Offering more stuff from garden shops. Spend enough money on you. Mick's, um, Mick and I stay great friends. And uh, in fact, the question came in. I picked that one up. In fact, I don't think it was you that said it. But, oh. oh, yeah, Oscar, Oscar Smith. I read the Mick Wall bio during the COVID lockdown. He ends the book with a range of future scenarios. Mega stardom, solo project, da, da, da. After reading the story in the Clutch at Straws deluxe set about how the album was already the prelude to the split, I have the following burning question. How does the happy end of the book match up with the emotions within the band at the time? Was Mick Wall aware of things happening? Mick was kind of aware of things happening. He wasn't aware of the full situation because basically most of the full situation was all basically revolving in my head and about to be unleashed. Um, um, when we did the Clutch of Straws album, when we actually wrote the album together, there was a lot of friction within the band and there was a lot of 
pulling and froing and toing and doing and avoiding going on. And um, it was a difficult album to write. It was a difficult album to write because we basically came off the 86 tour, as always. There we were, on a tour again, come back. We need the album and we need it now, right? And, you know, with Veltschmerz and with Feast of Consequences and Thirty Star, I take a while over writing an album because I like to have the scope. I like the time to think and put it together. I, it's one of the great things about being a solo artist, about being, you know, independent of the major record company thing. As I said before, you know, to do what we're doing now and basically turning an album around and going, well, you know, you know, when Warner's put out the remasters, I mean, it's like this is the release date. Nobody is allowed to move it before the release date. And uh, because of agreements with Amazon that they've got and stuff like that, that I don't have, right? So, you know, and it's a big cumbersome machine. I mean, it, you know, album projects are they're like oil tankers, you know, when the, when they're with major record companies, they're, they're like oil tankers. They're very difficult manoeuvre. And once they've been assigned their kind of schedule and once they've been assigned their courses, you can't turn them around, right? Whereas here, you know, because we're more kind of like guerrilla warfare type people, right? It's, um, we're able to, to change things about, which is like, okay, it goes next Monday, let bam, go, right? And of course, the numbers are different. I mean, we don't work on the same kind of numbers and we don't have the same kind of, you know, major organisational headaches that, that Warners do. So, you know, there is that going for us. But I mean, but, I mean you know, to be able to, to do this and, and, and get it out is, um, I'm, I'm happy that we're able to, to get that sorted out. So, uh, meandering. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know the worry. The, the worry about this kind of what, what's happening in the next weeks is that if there is, if there are pinch points, if the mail goes awry again, then things will take longer. And I would really appreciate, sincerely appreciate, if you take this into consideration when the albums are going out, right? That if you start seeing kind of lockdowns and stuff, just wait a bit longer, right? You know, and I'm confident because. We did invest the time, you know, and, and working with Fuse Metrics and getting, you know, the electronic customs data set, stickers set up with Royal Mail, right? It means that all that information is there on the package. The only thing I say is make sure when you, if you order, put in your right address, please, and your correct address, right? We're still fielding stuff this week where, you know, people have, have missed out the countries and things like that, but, yeah. Kevin Pfeiffer, Bullshit should be the title of the next album. Well, there is no next album, so there will be no Bullshit. Uh, Alan Berg, the past party over is perfectly timed. Brought a smile to my face and a tear at my eyes. Cracking work. Thank you, mate. Jim Hedra, do you actually eat fish on Friday? No, I don't. Um... We normally have fish on Wednesday because that's the day the fish van arrives at the farm. We've got a, a little fish van that comes up from uh, down, down the coast and it comes here every Wednesday at 9 o'clock, peeps his horn and I go out, sometimes in my dressing gown and I buy my fish in the morning. And so normally Wednesday's the fish night. And Friday, I don't know what we're having tonight. It's a surprise. Uh. Stefan Kirchner, hi from Colne. 
Neil Dawson, can't wait for the vinyl. Are you happy with the cover photo in the prog mag? Yeah, it was great. It was nice. I mean, as Jerry said, I didn't even realise I'd never been on the cover before. It's not something I kind of, you know... <laughs> I've, never, I've never thought about it before. So, yeah, it was nice. And it was great because it was... Um, uh, Kayar Joachim took that photograph. He took it quite a few years ago. It was, uh, it was a great photograph. Tomasz Kalano, tonight I'm having Polish beer. I will be having a glass of wine after it because, as I said, this is our last weekend. You know? You know? Michael Hendricks, not in any way, shape or form sponsored by Erdinger. No, I have no sponsorship with Erdinger. I drink it, seriously, because I like it. And it's alcohol-free Erdinger. Right? With special stuff in it. Not vodka. Right? But it's a beer with isotonics. I don't have a sponsorship until I've got no sponsorships. And it's, uh... Erdinger, I just like... And it's just, as I said... I don't want to get pissed on the programme because otherwise it could take three hours. Just ask the wife how much I talk when I get... <laughs> John Waters, 13 Star Remaster, next year. Bob Walco, all the best from Sunny Buckinghamshire. Uh, Linda Dublin, did the tour album, tour regime, help end your time in Marillion. It wasn't the tour album, tour album thing. It was the fact that we weren't given time off to be people and be human beings. Uh, and um, you know we needed that time I've, I've said before it's like in, in, in 1987 I mean you know go back that's where I went that's where I lost the, the Mick Wall right Mick wasn't aware of everything that was going on I was aware of everything that was going on the vibe in the band in 87 on the Clutching Truth Source Tour was crap when we wrote the album there was a certain feeling of distance that had come in really since 86, since the success of Misplaced Children, and then that never-ending touring that went on on the back of that album, right? It was like, you know, 85 all the way into 86, and it was we were still doing it, and it was like, you know, write the album. So when I wrote the album, I wasn't particularly happy, and, and because we'd been on the tour all the time, that was why the, the album became what the album was. You know, it was a dark, hotel-reeking album, you know? And um, it was, there was, you know, it was a, it was a very difficult tour, right? And um, and a lot of my feelings that I had on that tour were reflected in the lyrics. You know, that time of the night being the classic example. Um, but you know, we went on the tour for, we went on the Clutch and Straws tour, and that was when it, it, it was, it was really kind of. It, it, Oh, everything that was on that album started to like just be amplified by the proceedings of the tour. So when we came back off the Clutch and Source tour and everybody's going, okay, next album, please. That was the worst mistake that was made within that band, right? Because what should have happened, right, at that time was if we had decent management, right, that wasn't so financially orientated and basically greedy, right? And they saw that the, 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 the writing was, was, was on the wall regarding where our future was going between our management and the band, right? Mainly instigated by myself, right? And agreed upon with the rest of the band, although reluctantly. And um, at the end of the 1987 tour, we should have taken a year off, right? 
we didn't. We went straight into writing another album. And there was no new experiences. And all I'd been doing was being on the road again in the same hotel types and the same buses in the same environments. And although I'd met lots of interesting people, I wasn't coming up with really interesting stories that were kind of, you know, going to fuel an album. And uh, we should have taken a year off. And um, we didn't. And, you know, what they did was they booked another tour. And we had a, when I left the band, there was a Christmas tour that was already booked, right? And it was like, nah, not doing this. And, um, and that was a problem. And Mick Wall was one of the first journalists to come up here. He wrote one of the early pieces when he came up to the studio for Kerrang! And it was... Uh, he was kind of shocked at what had actually happened. But Mick was aware that there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of freeing threads that were holding me to that band. Uh, so, but I think you know Mick's upbeat kind of thing in the in the in the bio was probably propelled by the fact that it was just before the darkness really set in. But I mean, um, as I said, Clutches Straws right in the album. I was pissed off with the situation I was in. I became more pissed off when the tour happened and I became severely, sincerely pissed off when I went into uh, um, 80, um, the 80, 89 period. Uh, well, 88, and that was when I left. So that was it. Jim Hedra, we also used to have a truck coming in. You could smell it coming. Yeah, well, my fish is fresh. <laughs> Paul Emery, a true lending operation. Yeah, that's the way we do it. As I was saying, I mean, if I'd been signed to EMI now, and this was like the old days, right, and I was signed to a contract, what happens well, like when you deliver the album, right, that then they don't pick up the option until the album's come out, until they see how that album's happening. So if the album comes out and it's doing tremendously well, then they, they take an option, and the option is on the next album. But if I was with a major record company, my album, Velchmerz, would probably not be coming out till next year, which means they would decide whether to take the option up till the following year. Then I could be sitting here going, do I still have a record contract, right? And I would definitely be sitting here going, who do I phone to get another advance from the record company and get the answer no down the phone? So being independent at this time is like the best possible way. I don't sell anywhere near, right? I mean, you know, I said, you know, we did 5,000 deluxes. Vigil did, I think, about half a million albums, right? And uh, so it's a huge drop. But then again, Vigil was out before Spotify. Vigil was out before illegal downloads. Vigil was out before streaming. You know, it was different times, which is another reason why I'm retiring. Uh, Laurent Berg, greetings from France. Christian Molina, Fiestas Patrias. Gregorz Tishka, greetings from Poland. Da -da -da -da. Hook Bikers. Roberto H. Stark G, will you perform Scottish folk music someday? Don't think so. Um, I like Scottish folk music, but I'm not an expert. It's kind of like the world of jazz to me. It's like, you know. There's things I like in it, but I don't want to go in there because I know if I go in there, I'm going to lose myself and get completely lost. Uh, right. 10-2. It's time to move on. Let me introduce 
Bert. This is Bert. Say hello, Bert. Hello, everybody. I'm pissed, you know. I'm very, very pissed. Yeah, Bert. Bert originally came from... Um, he's American. He's an American bear. And I bought it um, before Tara was born. Actually, I bought this... Uh, I bought this in the States and it was... Um, I had too much money and no relationship and I was very, very drunk. And I saw the big bear... And I fell in love with it. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was, or was it Germany? See, that's how bad it was. But I bought a bear, a big bear. And I had three things. I had a great big gopher, and, I, and I've got a big panda that's through my mum's room, right? And Bert, this is Bert the bear. Bert the bear. Right? And Bert the bear's been with me for ages. And Bert the bear lives in the control room, right? And when Tara was born, and... When Tara was born, it was obvious who was going to get them. And Tara had all the animals. And she was deeply, deeply upset that, that this beaver-gopher thing... It was, we don't know whether it was a beaver or a gopher, right? And um, it got it got moth-eaten. Right? <laughs> it started to fall apart. It was just exploding. It was exploding this kind of foam shit everywhere. You couldn't see it was just falling apart. And she was absolutely heartbroken that it went on a skip. <laughs> it's now... The beaver is now landfill. <laughs> but... Bert stayed on and Panda stayed on. Right? And this is where we take a step into darkness. Right? I've said before, and I said in the liner notes of uh, Fellini days that um, Clock Moves Sideways is one of the heaviest songs and one of the darkest songs on the album and it was because it was it was a really horrible dark time right and uh, at that point in um, around about 1999 I was 900 grand in debt. Right? I'd been absolutely smacked by overdraft fees from the bank, by companies that had ripped me off, by uh, tours. I mean, in, in America, I lost a lot of CDs to a company that walked away, and it was at the worst possible moment. And it was, um, I lost thousands of albums in America. To a company and I couldn't even it wasn't even it was a complete waste of time even contemplating going across there and um and taking an action and I had tours that had gone down the Rain Gods with Zippo's tour again I read the sleeve notes and I'm like oh, fuck, yeah I remember that now Rain Gods with Zippo's had been a disastrous tour um I'd been taken very very ill on that tour with a number of things I had a really bad virus lost a load of shows and it was a mess and just to cap off the whole thing by the time I got to the end of 2000 it was very very obvious that um, uh, I was going to be getting divorced and with my wife my then wife Tamara and I had moved so far apart and um, the only reason we were together was for my daughter Tara 
or our, our daughter Tara. And, um, and I was going on the road as much as I could to get away from things. There's some other stories that I'll do another time that kind of around that involve big kind of convoluted explanations. So I'll stick to where it's at. Wes was, I'd, I'd been, I'd, Wes had come into the band and taken over guitars during the Ringo's tour. And, um, and, um, and we wanted to write, but the problem of Wes, right, John Wesley, right, who's a lovely guy, great friend. The problem was that Wes is from Florida. So every time Wes came across, we were having to deal with visas, you know, and we had to deal with bringing Wes's equipment over, which was hugely expensive. So when Wes came across, it had to be for a tour and album and things. So when we got into that area, 1999 into 2000, I was busted. I mean, busted. It was very difficult to raise money. And on top of that, the Roadrunner deal that I had was just a mess. And I had to get myself out of that PDQ because it was like I had to extricate myself and get my catalogue back so I could find another way to stand back on my feet again. And there were people telling me at the time that, you know, maybe you should contemplate bankruptcy. And I really didn't want to do that. Um, one of the, my big fears was that, well, you know, I would have lost the songs. And I think, you know, at that time, I mean, even though it's like, you know, publishing, especially from the old catalogue, you know, it is a kind of, it's a foundation stone of my year. It's, it's something I can relatively depend on. It's, it's, it's kind of like, a, a, it is my pension, basically, you know, of sorts. It's not the same by any means as like, you know, Nuddy Holders or Roy Woods or, you know, Mid-Years or um, Bono's of, or Liam Gallagher, right? You know, but it, it pays bills, right? And it was keeping me alive then. It was like something that I could rely on twice a year was that royalty statement coming through. And if I went bankrupt, that was going to go in a fire sale. Right? And the prospect of listening to my catalogue or even hearing Kaylee played on the radio, knowing that somebody else was basically picking up on... on the publisher on it was, a, it was too hard to swallow. I mean, the, the, the songs were like my babies and I wanted to, to you know, I wanted to keep them. You know, it was, it's kind of like my legacy to my daughter as well and to my wife, right? And uh, so, you know, back at that time, it was, it was pretty, it was tough times. And everybody said, well, just, just walk away from it. Just walk away. And I've never walked away from stuff in my life, right? You know, when I've, when I've got a battle to fight, I will fight it as long as I can possibly manage until it is absolutely like, you know, it's a no-go zone. But back then, I still felt there was a way I could get out of it. I still had the house, I still had the studio. And, um, but one of the problems at the time was that I had to sell all the studio equipment. And the, the irony of all ironies, I had to basically sell 300 grand's worth of studio equipment or equipment that I'd bought in 1991 for 300 grand and that I took out a big loan on, which was again, one of the absolute crucifying elements of what was happening back in, in 2000. Because we to get the studio working, I had to invest a lot of money and take a lot, a lot of loans, you know, which thankfully I did. And all the pain that happened back then is worth it because this, you know, Simona and I's house, you know, is our home. 
and I'm, it's the best place I've ever lived. So I'm, I'm talking about it from the other side now. But back then, I was writing it. And it was horrific. And as I said, I had to sell all the studio equipment and I got, I think it was 80 grand for the studio equipment. Uh, it didn't help at the time that I'd sold the, the mixing desk, the big DDA mixing desk, which was 20 grand. And I'd sold that to Mark Daghorn, who, was, who had been working on the Rain Gods with Zippo's album. And I never saw a penny from that. And he did, that never showed up. So I was in pretty, I was in, I was in dire streets and I don't mean the band. If I was in the band, I would have been perfectly okay, but I was, I was in the other dire streets, the shitty one. The one where you're up without, without the paddle, right? And uh, so I had no equipment. We'd had to, we sold the big desk, we sold a lot of the toys, we sold a lot of the microphones. So when we approached Fellini days, it, was, it wasn't even a stripped down studio, it was a shell. You know, we had the sound rooms. And I got a deal off a German company called Behringer and we got these two digital desks. And that was basically what we used to record Fellini days. Right? In retrospect, it was a really bad move. Right? And um, we just didn't get the sound quality. And when Callum came to mix the album together, it was like he wasn't happy with the original sources at all. He wasn't happy with what he was working with. And he let it be known to me in a friendly way that, you know, Basically, you can't polish a turd. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a turd. But what he said was, I'm working here with material that's like, you know, it's difficult to get up to where the standard you'd like to get it up to because there's only so much you can do with it. And that was all down to the perilous state that I was in at that time. And, um, and as I said, so I'm dealing with 900 grand a day. I'm dealing with a studio with no equipment in it. Uh, I've got a house that's up for sale that nobody's interested in. Um, a studio that nobody's interested in um, um, because the whole art of recording had completely changed, which was why I shut down the studio in, in, in kind of at the end of 98. And um, it, was, it was a pretty bad time. And by the Christmas of that year, I knew that my marriage was gone. And, um, and the stress was absolutely unbearable. It was... a uh, Sleepless nights didn't even come into it. For those of you who have been through this, it's like, um, you know, you know exactly what it is. I, mean, I was sleeping an hour a night and I was, abs I was, my mind was fragged, absolutely fragged. You know, I was, you know, between the, the, the publishing that was coming in, it was like keeping me alive and that and the SES gigs, which will make sense in a minute. And I was doing, I did a lot of SES gigs that year and that gave me some sort of income as well. But um, I was I was reeling. I was absolutely on my haunches on on Fellini days, and Wes was brilliant, and we started working on this album. And one of the things, one of the riffs that he came up with was, was "Long Cold Day," and I loved it. And um, we were working together with John Young, the wonderful John Young, great keyboard player and a lovely bloke, right? And he'd come in to, to help me out. But what happened was round about that time, the guys all went back kind of just before December. And Wes went back to Florida. 
John, who'd only been up here a few times because he was in demand for his session duties, he'd gone back and there was no touring. And suddenly I was at home facing up to all the reality of it all. The whole reality, the debt, the, the, the failed marriage, the divorce, and my daughter. And we had a night in the house, in the old house, in the big room. And in the big room, there was a marvellous fire. And I'd had it built back in, what, 1989? But 1989, it was modelled. It was actually done by a, a, a local mason. And when, we'd actually, when we were renovating the house from its original mess that we found it in, we discovered this fireplace in a wall that we didn't know there was a fireplace, and it was in the main room. And we went, wow, we've got to make a feature. And Keith McIntyre, who is an artist friend of mine, who did the Guddler Sleeve, which you know from the Songs from the Mirror album, and he's also got two pieces on the Velgebertz album, one, one of them being the thistles that you see on this part is over as the pack shot. That's a Keith McIntyre, and that was given to us, to Simone and I, on our, for our wedding. And, um, but, um, Keith, losing the plot, you. Went off with the Keith McIntyre. Come back into it. I was thrown there, love. I heard your footsteps and I was thrown. <laughs> but, um, like I said, we were through in the in the, the fire the, with the fireplace. Keith McIntyre had taken me. That was it. Keith McIntyre had taken me to the Glasgow College of Art, which is now sadly destroyed and burnt down. But he took me up to the director's room, and in it there was a fireplace. And I was quite a fan of Rainy McIntosh at the time. And I've, 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 I'd always loved Rainy McIntosh. And EMI had given me two big Rainy McIntosh chairs for my for my wedding present in 1980 uh, when I got married in uh, 1987. And I wish it's another story. <laughs> but, um, so the fireplace was there and it was a great fire in, the, in what was called the music room. And we have the big table. And the big table is that one there. The one with all the albums and stuff on it. That used to be the table that was in the residential block. And the residential block was a small cottage we had where all the bands used to stay when they recorded here. And when my band stage when we rehearsed and, and wrote. So there was a residential block, we had three rooms, but the big table was taken out of there and we turned it into four bedrooms and the big table was in there with the Rennie McIntosh fire, with the albums, da-da-da, and with the two big Rennie McIntosh chairs sitting opposite each other, right? And we were having dinner. And it was one of those, let's have a family dinner. I was back, I was not on tour, I was, there was nobody in the house for a change. We were on our own. And... I was still thinking there was a way to maybe, there was some way of kind of getting through things and stuff and sorting stuff out. And we had a dinner. And it was me. And sitting opposite me was Taz. And sitting at the end of the table on a big rainy mattress chair was Bert. And on the other table was my then wife, Tammy. And we had a lovely meal. And... It started off okay, and I remember we were. I was. I put on Tom Petty. It was. It was. I was trying to keep it light, and it, we were playing. I think it was the Wildflowers album, and the original title for the song that kind of was popping around my head at that time 
was um, oh, what was it? Uh, bopping with a beer, I think it was, and dancing with a beer, something like that. And it was originally going to be um, a song about the night, a happy song, and it wasn't <laughs> because as. But I just remember that particular night. It was like Tara and I were 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 were, were jiving off each other on, on you know, off the other side of the table. The bear was down my end. We were talking to the bear as if it was kind of like one of our dinner guests, and my then wife was sitting there glowering at the end of the table. And uh, without going into any more detail, the atmosphere of the night quickly deteriorated, and uh, and Tara went up to bed, and it was kind of. My then wife went across to the residential block because she was living in the residential block and I was living in the house at that time. We were basically separated within the house. And I was left with the bear, grooving with the bear. That was what it was, grooving with the bear. And I was left with the bear, sitting there drinking brandies at three o'clock in the morning with a big fire in the Rennie, Mac in the, the Rennie Macintosh fireplace. And that's what the song was about. It was, it was a really desperate time. And... Um, and there was a couple of references in it, you know, this is for, uh, there was a couple of references in it that, that um, to my situation at the time, like pointedly to my situation at the time. And uh, after it, I kind of recognised there was a kind of, there was a final cuttish kind of vibe in it, you know, it was that bit where he's, you know, lock all the doors and stuff. And that was kind of what I was at the time. I was like, I was getting extremely dark and feeling very, very cornered and... As I said, I knew that um, that it was the whole divorce thing was imminent, which meant I was going to have to tell my daughter very, very soon that you know, mummy and daddy separating, and anybody who's gone through that one thing knows that that is the worst, worst experience. One of the worst experiences of my life was delivering that news when it was like I just couldn't handle the situation anymore, and that was kind of the vibe that was all kicking around the song. And as I said, it was dark. And I think I felt I was going slightly insane with it all. The fact that the whole, uh, that whole environment was becoming so surreal. You know, trying to write an album in the situation and the circumstances of trying to write an album, dealing with my own personal situation with regards to my relationship, dealing with my own personal situation with regards to the finances. It was just over fucking whelming right and like i said i thought i was going crazy and it was like it was that whole thing about coming up to the new year and stuff like that and it was it was clock moving forward clock moving backwards and stuff and i just felt that the whole clock was basically moving sideways it, i mean i wasn't i was on a different planet you know i was existing in a whole different area from you know anybody else you know and you know there was a distinct sense of loneliness and um and that's what gave birth to it all it was like you know the clock moves sideways and again the, the touch at the end where um should all the acquaintance was it was the definitive it was the, the the kiss goodbye i mean it was the you know all the lyric revolved around clock and time and cogs and wheels and you know everything was everything was moving forward 
at that point. I mean, I, it was like it was out of control by then. You know, there was no real control over it. You know, everything was just it was going to fall apart, and you could see it was all going to go fall apart. It was all reaching this point where, you know, the conclusion would be made. And I, I just wanted to throw on, you know, that, that bell. You know, it's like that, <laughs> the bell of doom at the end, you know. Happy Year! <laughs> and, um, and the old Lang Syne bit was just, you know, the kiss-off at the end of the whole tune. During the recording, it was kind of weird because it was uh, when we put it together... It was interesting because on the, the on the Fellini Days remaster, there's a, there's a demo, which is basically the the jam that the Wes and John Young were putting together when they put together the, the music side of things, and it was basically these two pieces that moved back and forward, and when I listened to the demo on the the Fellini remaster, it actually sounded quite Beatlish and like Abbey Road. White album kind of vibe, you know, just just that melody, that hanging melody and things, and um, but it's very it's dark. It was, I mean, I think that's what attracted to me. It was a, just a really dark lyric. But when we started to write it, this is Farquhar Corner. Um, I came in with the, the I'd been writing the lyrics separately, aware of what they were doing, listening to what they were doing, taking CDs away or not CDs, taking cassettes away. And then listen to it and, and piece and getting the, the, the bits in my head so I could place the lyric on it. Lovely. And, uh, but it, it kind of, it was there for too long and we needed to change something. And we couldn't find a way out at all. And, um, and it, it was, you know, do we just stay in this repetitive cycle and just change the keys or whatever, how do we deal with this? And I came up with this idea and I said, well, why don't we just go into a crazy flamenco section? And Wes went, <laughs> can't do that, man. Can't do that. Can't, you can't do something like that there. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I'm going to try it. And I said, just, it's crazy. I said, but it's Fellini. It's just so surreal and off the wall at work. And, um, and Wes tried it, and it was brilliant, and um, and it it just did the trick. It just it just it, it, the clock moved sideways. It's just that jolt, and it's like you're suddenly like, what the fuck is happening here? And um, and it, and Wes did the answering guitar, but it became really awkward when we did it on stage because Fellini Days was one of the, the first tours that I remember we started to use a lot of backing tapes and things, or triggered. Uh, triggered stuff on on stage, and the idea was that you know you had the click track, and then the the, the flamenco guitar comes in, and then Wes was going to play electric to his flamenco part on the stage. <laughs> there was some, there was some moments out there where it was brown corduroy time. I tell you, it was a. Uh, People just losing contact with each other, you know, monitors, you know, that was before we all went on, or when the band went on in-ear monitors, so it was a lot more difficult to hear because you were reliant on the wedges on the stage. So when things went awry, <laughs> and people lost the one, two, 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 when that was lost, and Wes had a couple of hairy moments on it, and, um, but it was it was great stuff. But I mean, um, but this, that section where it goes through the evil section, and it goes into flamenco, and then it just shifts and shifts, and then comes right back in again. I just love it. It's um, again I've said before about Fellini days. 
you know, and I'd said tonight, you know, we're recording it on crap equipment. Um, we were kind of financially under a lot of restraint. I mean, the bank was, it was, I was squeaking with what I was allowed and not allowed to do. And um, it took a lot of tap dancing and a lot of rinky-dink tally-papping to, 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 to get that album paid for and get bring people together, right? And, um, but Long Cold Day is, oh, sorry, shop, Clock Moves Sideways. It's just the song and the album that just is so powerfully set in that time. And as I said, every time, you know, and this afternoon when I listened to it for the first time in a long time, it just, it whips me right back. And I get, I get the heebie-jeebies sometimes, you know, when, with, with some of the old songs, when I, when I hear them and I go back and I, and I remember what my state of mind was like back then. And I remember that pressure that I wouldn't wish on anybody. I mean, just, you know, to be on that, on that lip of just losing it, losing everything, you know, was, um, it was kind of crazy. But I'll tell you some more about the rest of this stuff later. But I'm sorry I didn't put the fire on, okay, which would have been pretty apt for this. So I'll try and do some smoke effects with the vape. But um, this, not this. Motore. Matore. Don't do, don't do this to me. You do this yourself, wouldn't you? The CD player is deciding not to play. Curse of my bloody life. Four, six, seven, eight, nine. This is it.
That was The Clock Moves Sideways from the album Fellini Days by the Scottish singer Fish. Him. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, when I hear that back, it's, it's, it's kind of, oof. I mean, I get, I get actually transported. I mean, I just, you know, I take that jump next door. It's really strange because I mean, actually the studio, living in the studio, which is next to the house that I used to live in, and that house is kind of like, you know, it's, it's weird living in the house that you used to live in, like next door, and the vibe in here is completely different from the vibe in there. So I've, I've been in there a couple of times because my neighbours are great, and it's, uh, I've been a couple, couple of times there the New Year, and it's just really strange what kind of place. Oh, by the way, your, your dad's your dad's online. Papa. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's he's on. Can't see him. Hello, Papa. See. <laughs> Ta-da! We got the earring today. It's the magic Gaza jammers for you. Hey, yeah, you see all your dad is watching. It's so weird. I look at myself. Papa! <laughs> no, you, can't, you can't see him, he doesn't come no, on. I know. Nobody, nobody comes on. That's why it's so weird. <laughs> I can't talk to my dad in front of all the... All hey, the... you speak German, so your dad German. He came up. <laughs> Being a wrestler, he came up. He, Simone's dad doesn't really do Facebook much. He doesn't, so... Hello. Hi, good to be Gates. Alles good. Yeah, it's ganz good here. The doctor is here, by me. This is weird, warten auf Essen and Wein. Wirklich. Okay. Papa, I'm Oh, you can tell. What's your, well, we could do it. We could do it now. It's, it's 20 past. We could okay. do it. So, um, what's for dinner tonight, darling? To be honest, I don't know yet. <laughs> I just came back from Tesco's. Don't. We're not allowed to mention. Uh, we're not allowed to mention Brandy. Oh, oh, no, we can't no, mention Brandy. Like no, 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 no. Came back from the Tesco supermarket. Yeah, probably <laughs> something Turkish because I have fetal pastry and I fill it with fresh spinach leaves and feta cheese, and then I grill it. And maybe a salad. I don't know yet. No pies? Pies? <laughs> no meat? Just, just, just. Oh yes, I have little herbal meat, herb meatballs. These, the ones you like for you. Oh yeah, those ones are great. Yeah, I like them, they're cool. Well, that seems brilliant. Good. Okay. Yeah. So, Bye. 24, yeah. Cheers, Papa. As you call Yeah, Simone's dad. Hi, Gunter. <laughs> Here's a, I had Tara, my daughter, my daughter one minute to six. She decides to put a video call into me. And I said, I'm just about to go live. And she goes, oh, Tara. <laughs> oh. Aid Peachman, yeah. Club with Sideways, yeah, has got a hip-hop beat. It's, um, um, it was, it was a... There was a lot of fun times in making that album. I mean, it was great having Wes around and stuff. I mean, you know, Wes and I became great friends you know, around about that time because he became a kind of shoulder for me um, during all the crap that was going down. And as I said before, without going back and again, it was, it was dark, evil crap, right? And of course, with the album, it was Stevie Vances and Dave Stewart did the rhythm section and did a, a brilliant job. But... Again, with the finances and with the touring and the way things had gone with the Rain Gods tour, promoters weren't kind of, they were a bit reluctant to start giving me um, a lot of shows. 
so it was kind of restricted and you know I had um luckily I had, a, I had Kosovo I did some shows in Kosovo that helped out that Wes came out and, and did did with us and um but when it came to doing the, the tour it was like I lost Stevie Vances and Dave Stewart because I mean I didn't have the work for them and the, both of them had just had kids um and uh and Dave Stewart got a job in a, a drum shop and it was Guaranteed income, blah, blah, blah. And Stevie Vance has got a job in a publishing house in, in Edinburgh and doing advertising and things. And they basically said, we can't afford to lose the jobs and come on the roadway for six weeks. And I was faced with a bit of a problem. Right? And um, luckily, I'd been, as I said before, I mentioned before about, I'd been doing a lot of SES gigs in the year previously, you know, that had kind of helped keep me alive. And uh, John Martyr, who had been the drummer with Marillion during those uh, 1983 gigs when we did Rush, and who had stayed in touch with, and who was the regular drummer with the SES band. And John was looking for work because the SES band was kind of getting busy and things. I think Queen were going out, which meant Spike Edney was, was leaving the country. And John came in on drums, and John suggested uh, Steve Barnacle as bass player. And I didn't know Steve, you know, from Adam. And, um, but he had a great rep. He'd worked with Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend, and he was actually an original member of Visage. Fate degree. Remember? Steve Barnacle. Steve was... Steve and I had a lot of fun. It was... Uh, we used to have these incredible arguments, non-political arguments. They used to get incredibly heated. And they used to become so heated, it would frighten people. I remember we had one in a restaurant and we basically emptied it. We used to, we could empty bars. Once we got started, you know, we were, um, Steve was, um, uh, he was the exact opposite of where I am on the political scale. And, uh, and we used to have great times and, you know, there was one time I remember we were playing. I think it, I think it could have been in, in Rio, and we went out. We went out for a meal, and we had a particularly heated argument, and it was it was really getting <laughs> testy. And um, and we're coming at the restaurant. I said to Steve, we, I mean, we were fine, but everybody else got really uptight about it, right? And I said, Steve, let's go in the corner and have a rumble, right? So basically, Steve and I kind of moved around the corner and then got involved in this fake fight in the middle of the street. <laughs> Another band, Bandy Greek, went, no, no, no. <laughs> but the one thing I always remember about Steve, right, and it was, um, the one thing I remember about Steve was we were playing in, in Poznan and we ended up playing in this kind of enclosed square and, and it was like, a, it was like a, a tenement block, but I think it was part of the castle. And there was like a lot of houses around the, the kind of three, or people living in, in the rooms and in, in, in around the three sides. And the stage was there was about maybe maybe a thousand people there or something. It was a, it was a small space, but it was crammed. And um, we used to do this thing called tribal vodka drinking. I think I might have told you about it before. I can't remember. It's like twenty five shows now. I can't remember everything I've done. Right. But we do this tribal vodka drinking, and basically what we used to do was we used to get a bottle of vodka, and there'd be a crowd of us sitting in a circle, and everybody would make these tribal noises like, and we'd keep the beat going, bum, 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 
and the vodka would just go round and round and round until the, bo the bottle was empty, and that was tribal vodka drinking, right? And it was kind of like it was like suicidal vodka drinking. It was like you know when you went into when you went into tribal vodka drinking, you know, it was like you were making a statement, and that statement was, "I'm going to die tomorrow," right? And anyway, we were on stage, and we had with the little bottles of vodka, right? And I decided. We'd got to like about the end of the set and everything was kind of like, you know, we're done, we're wrapped. Everybody's having a great time. I think we were doing Lucky or something and it was like, you know, da -da -da, let's do tribal vodka drinking. So we started it. Doof, doof. Did a bottle of vodka on stage amongst the band, not all of them, right? And we ran out of vodka and they said, we don't have any more vodka. And somebody shouted down from a window about two floors up and said, I was already ordering vodka. I went, oh, great. <laughs> and he threw a bottle of vodka down and I caught it. <laughs> and we start up a full bottle of vodka, this one, and we started and bam, 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 and we did another bottle of vodka. And then it was like, oh, it was getting stupid. And it was, of course, it was cold and it was a lot of fresh air around. And we went into the dressing room, into the warmth of the dressing room. <laughs> and some people were very, very, very drunk. And one of those people was Steve Barnacle, right? And he was absolutely pissed, right? And I remember, he was like, he was, there was one of those bins, right? It's got, it's, it was kind of, it's a waste paper basket where you've got like a, a you've got a, a U base and then a, 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 an arm that comes up the back with a circle on it where you put the, the where you put the plastic bag and then there's a plastic um, lid goes on it. So it's basically just a little frame. So Steve Barnacle was absolutely steaming and he was sitting in the corner of the dressing room, right? And he's leaning on this this dustbin that he thinks is like a fully functioning, like solid, you know, dustbin, rather than a flimsy frame thing with a bag attached. <laughs> and there was a parquet floor in the dressing room, right? And I still remember to this day, it was because everything just went in slow motion. And Barnacle leaned on the edge of this bin, right? And it gave way, and it was like, Shing! and it, it was like, falling like a skyscraper, you know, it's been demolished all the way down. And I watched his tooth sparkle and spangle <laughs> and tinkle and tattle across the parquet floor. <laughs> and he just lay there. <laughs> Bam! Ding! And everybody was just going, what the fuck? <laughs> and his mouth was bleeding and all the rest of it and of course it's after a gig in Poznan in Poland and like you know dentists around about that time were kind of pretty hard to come by and we had to leave in the bus that night to go somewhere else in, in Polandville <laughs> and we discovered that it, because it was his front tooth that got broken and the nerve was shown out he couldn't breathe and we gave him tincture and stuff like that you know just to keep him happy but then we found out that if we got him laughing, he was in a lot of pain. <laughs> and that's all we did the whole night on the bus. We just tell jokes to Steve Barnacle and just keep him going. And he was in agony the whole night until he saw Dennis the next morning. But that's the sort of cruel bastards that we are when we were on the bus. You know? But Steve Barnacle, there's another great Steve Barnacle story, but I can't tell that until I talk to Steve Barnacle and ask if I can tell it. <laughs> well... <laughs> Lauren Burn, no mate. I'm just, it's Friday, you know. From Chile, Reina, Gavasco, Matia, I can't. 
Andrew McKay, Tesco and Haddington has a very weird car park. Carol <laughs> uh, Loritz Olsen, always lovely to see Simona. Matteo Pescadero, Nochmal and Nochmal and Nochmal. Welsh song Vardas. Zinzi, yeah, it was called The Clock Moves Sideways from Fellini Days. Yeah, yeah Fish and Friday t shirts. Um, I've decided to, to take a, a back to take a back step from that. Um, one of the principal issues is we're absolutely overrun with the whole Velchmerz thing. And because of the orders and because of the stress that we're under at the moment, I decided to be considerate towards my um, much overrun wife and like to put another T-shirt into the mix in the middle of the Velchmerz albums at this moment in time was cruel. Right? So I'm holding off on it. I'll do it. I'll have a look at it in the next two, three weeks. You know, I want to have a look at the designs. I had some designs put together and I'll kind of put them around a couple of people and we decided that we could maybe get something a bit different. So I'm just going to hold off. Like I said, we've got the whole Velchmerz mail out happening and that's a huge, huge jumble of work to do. So I'll just hold off on the T-shirts and paid to the comments from my long-suffering wife. Ah, I don't want to restart Windows GUI. I hear that stuff. Do you know, I hate when it comes out on the computer. You're trying to do something, it's only, you can have this, you can have this, upload this, new version, da-da-da, just when you're trying to do stuff. Here's another one. Erdinger. Sergio Bianchi, hello fish from Italy. Fraser Slattery, feed keeps sticking Glasgow. I've got no idea why. It's, I've got the feed running here. But as always, it'll be on rerun for all the people that are going out tonight or aren't able to watch tonight, you know? CK Zamek, Cultural Centre Castle, ended with singing after party. My absolute best your social calm now. Yeah, yeah, that was the show. That was the one. Uh, Mark, Martin Yak, I remember positive gig on that too, your first fish gig. Right. Uh Side B, more beer for my kids. Rick Gay, ledge alert. What's a ledge alert? What's it? Is that because the stomach and the jeans? Oh, I've got to get on the machine. I've got to. That was our thing. It's like this week. I, I did. I was doing my physio exercises for my shoulder, and you'll never believe it. <laughs> I pulled another muscle in the, in my shoulder. <laughs> I'm doing the physio exercises, and must have screwed up. And I, and I couldn't cough or anything, and I was in agony with my back and, and this this area in there, it was really sore. And I think I actually buggered myself up doing physical exercises. So I had to lay off them for three days. I'm getting better, I'm getting better. I'm not dead yet. Right. Bruno Del Tom, why Fugazi in the end? Oh, you're talking about the mention at the end of uh, uh, Clock Move Sideways when I, I, I did Fugazi. And I, I, I just, it was a playful sense of me. I just thought I'll throw that in so that Bruno Del Tomo used to come, well, right, why did you do Fugazi? Very few people actually mentioned it at the time, but I just thought it was appropriate. It was just, you know, Fugazi all fucked up. You know, it was just Fugazi. You know? All right. 
Justin Ross, another great show. What's your favourite malt? Now, Justin, did you send this in before? So, Justin Ross wrote in, and Martin Nichols said, what sort of whiskey are you into? I'm an old Pulteney man, and being Welsh, love my Pendirin. Right? That was from Martin Nichols. Um, I, I, I never... I never really got on a whiskey. My dad, seemingly, I was told this. I didn't know this, you know, because it was before my, my my time came into being. Right? But my dad was a really big whiskey drinker, and uh, and he was. My mum told him to stop it because he was getting out of order. <laughs> he seemingly used to get quite argumentative. That sound familiar? <laughs> used to get quite argumentative, and my mum said, "You have to stop it." So my dad stopped drinking whiskey and started drinking gin. <laughs> but the boy and the, he used to mix his gin. I don't believe this. Though anybody can do this, and I, I think I tried it when I was a kid, because I remember in in the old Scottish bars, you know, you didn't have fresh fruit juices like Schweppes and stuff. You didn't get them, right? <laughs> and it was like, so my dad used to drink gin and orange cordial, right? I mean, God, man, that's vile. <laughs> and that was my dad's drink for for quite a while was gin and orange cordial, right? And, uh, and then he eventually found his drink of choice, which was Bacardi and Coke, and uh, Cuba Libra. And that was always my dad's drink. But with whiskey, I, I just never got into it. I used to nick whiskey out my dad's whiskey bottles when I used to go to the the dances up at Dalkeith High. And we used to get Globe Lemonade bottles. And you used to go round your dad's uh, booze cabinet, right? <laughs> How many people is this ringing a bell with? I did that. I've done that as well. Used to go into the booze, the, the into your booze, dad's booze cupboard, right? And you used to try and take out, right, as much as you could into and put it in a lemonade bottle. And there was anything that went. There was like sherry, there was whiskey, there was Bacardi, there was anything that was in there went into the globe lemonade bottle, the empty globe lemonade bottle. And you mix that. You, you got enough in as much as you could get in, and then you put a mixer in, probably normally lemonade. And that that was what you used to take up to the up to the dances at Dalkeith High. I used to park it outside the used to park it outside the school in in a in a corner somewhere, and then come out during the dances and be necking this globe lemonade bottle. And you normally do a globe lemonade bottle before you even went up to the dance. But I remember going to the, the disco at Dalkeith steaming, you know, drinking this, and then it was vile. I mean, it was like it's what you do as teenagers, you know, you drink shit just to get the effect. It's like you know, and that was when that was the only time that I was kind of really I touched whiskey when I was kind of you know in that at that time and uh when I went into the forestry you know I'd have a nip sometimes if you know if I was out and a bit but I didn't and it was gross it was always it was just your your, your kind of your bar stuff it was like you I never got into kind of even though I was living up in Murrayshire where there are some great distilleries you know but I never really got into whiskey you know and I actually followed my dad into Bacardi and then eventually Jack Daniels. But the whiskey thing, right? I remember whiskey was a major part of the first tour, the first solo tour when we went up to the Highlands and Islands tour on the State of Mind uh, thing. And we all got really into McAllen's. And I remember being in a hotel in Elgin <laughs> and sitting in the bar and these bottles of McAllen's kept on coming out and coming out. And we got, I mean, Hammered, absolutely, hammered. and everybody drunk whiskey in the band. I've never, I've never known a tour where so much whiskey was drunk. And but you know we were going into Stornoway, and it was like you know after the gigs, it was like we went back to the hotel, and everybody was drinking McAllen's and smoking cigars and stuff. It was ridiculous. But I really like McAllen's. 
Tony Stratton-Smith from Charisma, I remember he was a big Laphroaig man, and he turned me on to Laphroaig whiskey for a while. Glenn Fiddick, I've quite liked, and of course, I've got my, my, my local one here, and um, which is, you know, the, the, the Glen, uh, Glen Kinchy, which is a kind of light lowland whiskey, and I quite like it. I mean, there's been times when I've been given a bottle of whiskey, and I was given a beautiful bo bottle of Australian whiskey by a fan, I'd actually, I uh, um, uh, read about the Aberdeen show and we managed to hold back on it for a while, but it got tanned. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> tanned is a Scottish thing for me, that the bottle was drunk, it got tanned. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I, I tend to avoid it, I, I do get very argumentative on it, you know, and I, but I like it at night, you know, if, I, if I'm watching TV, if there is something in the house. Then, you know, or, you know, maybe at the end of something special, you sit there, there at night and there's, you don't want to drink anyway, I've, I've had a whiskey, but it's never been a major kind of, a, a major kind of drink for me at all. Oh. David Bonneman, any minute, uh, memories of Abris with E. Mosley's first gig? No, I can't really remember that at all. Oh. Remember the outpatient's gig? Oh, well, I missed it. I've got to scroll down. I keep on jumping at this and getting missed. Evening Fish watching from Yorkshire. Adrian Geezer. Geezer. Neil Quarles, Jack Daniels. Paul Emery, Lagavulin. La La yeah, that was a good one. Graeme Smith, what was the longest set you ever played? I seem to remember the one at the Caves in Edinburgh being very long. By the way, hi from Bathgate, just beside the Cane Park Hotel. The Cane Park Hotel. Is the Cane Park actually, is it still a hotel called the Cane Park? That was where, it was like right on the 82 tour, uh, Marillion. We just about had a residency there. We played there two or three times, you know, during that, that first yeah, UK, uh, Scottish tour. But the longest ever set, I've been on stage for three hours. I can't remember where, but we've done, we did some horrendously long, long gigs. And... Uh, and I remember Yatta screaming at me from the side of the stage, like, oh, you gotta stop it, you know, the crew's gotta load out, you know. And I go, no, one more, one more. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I, I don't feel right playing a, a, a set that's like an hour and, an hour and 20 minute set, you know. When you play a festival set and you're only playing for an hour or whatever because you're low on the bill and stuff, it's, it's like nothing, you know. And I mean, even an hour thirty minutes feels short to me when I'm on a stage. And you know, our, my normal gig—remember them, remember gigs. Who's <laughs> uh, yeah? Normally, our sets about an hour forty-five, coming up to two hours one course. That's normally, and I'd, people say it's too long, you know. But I think that's it. I mean, I think you can go on too long. I remember, I remember seeing Bruce Springsteen at Wembley, and it, that was three hours, you know. And uh, but it was a great set. I mean, it, you know, you, I knew every song that was getting played. That was amazing. And he's always been notorious for you know real long gigs. I think you got to, I think you got to find a, you got to find a balance. I mean, it's like some of the, some of the Polish gigs I remember we did really long Polish sets, and we did some really long sets in Germany because the crowd wouldn't let us go, and in Holland. But I mean, I think the bottom line is you've got to remember that the following night you've got to go out and sing to another crowd and. You know, you have to pace yourself. And I think I, I just, that's what I try and do now. It's like, you know, two hours, I think, is, is, is kind of a good length. 
and then you know then save it once you start going over you, you're eating you're going into vocal overdraft if you know what i mean you know so quarter two can i beat a wee dram paul emery kate armstrong i beg john waters any brian robertson stories not really uh julian davis love talisker gary vanden smith any chance of a happy 50th birthday Wish for me for tomorrow. Lockdown in Newcastle. Happy birthday, Sherry. Oh. Or Gary. Sorry, happy birthday, Gary. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Gary. Happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. Lee Cookson, did you ever drink Newcastle brown ale? I did. When I was when I was a kid, right? When I was like um, sort of like seventeen year old, that was what we used to get Newquay Brown, right? We used to get the bottles of Newquay Brown, Brown ale. I used to drink a lot of that when I was seventeen. Right. Simon Farquhar, worst whiskey experience in Sam Moritz Club. Yes, I remember the Sam Moritz Club. Yes. Barry Capper, the distillery near Harrington is great. Yeah, yeah, that's the Glen Kinchy distillery. It's only up the road from us. You know, I've been there on a visit. It was good. It's good fun. <laughs> David Byers, argumentative you never, yeah. Graeme Smith, it's called the coach in, but really run down, it's a shame. Tosha Rowe, hello from Michigan. The Knights are fair drawn here in, here in Scotland, yes. I was actually, that's outside now. That's just outside. Winter is coming. <laughs> Up, Jackson. David Watling, gunpowder rum. Yeah, rum I got into when I was in Cuba. I got really into rum in Cuba. Oh, oh I was really partial to it. The Havana Club stuff. Oh, every night, Havana Club and cigars. I used to go diving, come out the, off the dive boat, straight in a bar. Uh, <laughs> Kevin O'Neill, what's a gig? Yeah, I know, tell me about it. You know, still having the dreams. Uh, still having the dreams. Oh. Okay, what do you want to hear from the new album? It's like... John Watson, Bruce used to do four-hour sets. Yeah, I believe that. He's a guitarist, though. Chris Harris, Grateful Dead, four-hour sets each time. Yeah, but it's, you're a guitarist and things. Lauren Burr, remember gigs. Uh, Ray Pross overdid the usual. First time drinking in Corfu, not touched it since. Who's just like that, innit? I got steaming on Zambuca once and went swimming in the, in the water, start ball out naked and, uh, and below the cliffs in Genoa. <laughs> it was a bit risky. Wait, what's it? Three hour forty five in Paris. <laughs> I can't remember. It's like when you're on stage. It's like yeah, yeah, you know. I don't, you know, you you know where the set's going, you know. And the only time I ever, the only time I ever really watch, the only time I really read my watch and go by the clock on on stage is when I'm doing a festival set. When you know, you're given a lot of time and you don't go over it because it's rude to other musicians. Right? Darren Gilder, when you take the new album on the road, would you play it in its entirety? I don't know. I've got no idea. It's, like I said, I mean, you know, we're, once again, we're back here into the same rut. It's, uh, 
we've got no idea what's happening. So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the decision to, to take the tour out, well, that, that should have been starting rehearsals in about two weeks, you know? I mean, it was, uh, I mean, this is the weird thing, you know, and, you know, summer is going to be out. I mean, February is not going to happen. And uh, really, it's, it's the big call. that I'm going to be making a big call in March, April next year because I cannot activate a band and throw a band into rehearsals if there's any danger at all of tours going aglay and losing dates and losing cities and, and all the rest. I can't do it. I just cannot do it, you know? So... <laughs> Efren Temis, yeah, go and have your dinner. I'm waiting on mine coming. Right. Scott Smack, <laughs> the band's drum. The Bairns drum. Yeah, Lindsay Scott. Okay, it's 10 minutes to go. Which one of the Welshmen's? I can't do Rose because it's too long. It's 16 minutes. What do you want? Name. Cloud Polwyn, Darren Wells, ever tried a zombie? Nah. <laughs> of course I have. Yeah, many. Steve Rothery was one for, for cocktails. It's like, oh, that's, a, that's another story. I'll, I'll do that. The Peter Hamill Aberdeen story with the fire extinguishers. That's a good one. Newcastle Brown, Loopy Juice, Mike Britton, yeah. Paul Cavender, Rosie. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, see, Rosie Damascus, don't. I'm, I'll play Rosie Damascus next week when we, when we do the, when we release the album, right? It's too short. I've only got 10 minutes and Rosie's 16. Havana, Rosie Damascus, somebody. Waverly Steps, okay. Waverly Steps has come up. Velchmerz. Waverly, Waverly. Rosie Damascus. Rosie Damascus is going to next week. It's too long. It's too, the wife's just saying it's too long. She's cooking through there. Right. Waverly steps. Okay, I'm going to have to set Waverly up. Right. Darling, do you want to talk to him for a minute? No. <laughs> I've got to do this. It's, you know what it's like with me. I've got to take it out. I don't know what to say. I'll tell you what, go get the wine. Oh. Um... You probably noticed. Can you see, Chris? I'll tilt it up a bit. So I can at least talk to you a bit while I'm doing this. I got you a nice bottle of wine today. Oh. Prob prob probably never had before. Yes. Can I go and show you? Yay! Can you see? It's called Mad Fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Australia. It's supposed to be really good though. Oh no. Where's. Oh, so here. So here. So we get a glass of madfish. It's the deluxe. There we go. Heat. Um, 
As requested. As requested, not. As requested. Waverly Steps from the album Gulch Brothers. Madfish. Madfish. <laughs> At the back of the tree, he stares out the window. The carriage is empty, commuting is done.
Waverly Steps from the album Velchbuts by Fish. Available for pre order. Pre order becoming order on Monday. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Another Friday. Another Fishing Friday. Another gig done. There's a little bit. See, that's two hours and five minutes there. That's the longest. Fish, no, it's not the longest Fishing Friday. I think it's been. I think there have been longer ones. But that's it for another week. Um, as I said, on Monday. Uh, vinyls and standards will be heading out that door and the deluxes will pardon no, vinyls, first. vinyls vinyls first vinyls will be following first standards swiftly following the Yorkies will be trundling up the path into the beckoning depths of the Royal Mail vehicles there to bring it all to your houses and it's, uh, so that's it. So Monday it starts to go out and then we'll have the, probably the exciting thing of on the timeline next week. There will be um, people going, So it's coming. This is it. We're reaching it. But Fishing Friday carries on. I'll be back uh, next week. And sadly, it seems that like we might be going to lockdown, understand. Newcastle, anyway, Newcastle, Gateshead, Manchester, Birmingham. Take it easy. Um... I know there's been some of my fellow musicians have been going up and saying things about, you know, conspiracy theories and curtailing freedoms and blah, 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 and da-da-da, and I'm here. I follow the regime here because I had sepsis last year. My immune system is depleted. Uh, I am in an age category, and I am taking no fucking chances, right? It's... um. As I said, you know, there's a pub nearby, nine people, you know, bang. And then we're now looking at a potential lockdown here. It may happen, it may not happen, but I go by the rules, right? And I follow them because it's like if somebody was to present me with a, with a, a gun, right, then I'm not going to put it to my head even, you know, I'm not going to play Russian roulette with this. And that's why I don't. I have this. As I said, the buffs are not COVID masks. I'll wear something underneath this and double wrap it when I go out and I wash my hands and I stay socially distanced and I have to, I have to do it for the sake of myself. I have to do it for the sake of my family. I have to do it for the sake of my mother and I do it for the sake of other people. And that's what you got to think about. It's other people. You wear a mask to protect other people because you do not know when you have it, whether you're asymptomatic or what. Um, it's the way I do it. I don't care, give a shit what other people think. This is what I do, right? A lot of other people do it, and that is the advice that's been given to me by scientists. That's the advice that's been given to me by the politicians in the country in which I live in, right? It's, um, I will carry on doing this. Um, we are staring down the barrels at a serious problem again. And, um, and if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then it's like you're just following the herd mentality. And I don't think herd mentality regarding this COVID thing is the way to go. Um, my thoughts, my opinion, that's the way it is. I think I'm going to follow this, follow the rules and do what I do. And until everybody else does, and until those R rates, which are now sitting at 1.4 and things like that, which is really ugly, um, until those R rates come down, I will not be performing on a stage anywhere near you in the very near future. And that's the way it works. I am an unemployed musician, as with thousands of my other unemployed fellow musicians, crew members, bus people, bus drivers, merchandisers, and everybody else. Like, we don't work until the R rate is down and we can go out and do gigs that are not socially distanced, when we can go out and perform to you in the manner which we are trained and prepared and used to perform to you, 
which is in nicely sold out halls with hot sweaty atmospheres and everybody jumping about. We can't do that until we get out of this mess. And we can't get out of this mess until everybody starts to follow the rules and gets the R rates down. And with that, I shall leave you. This is your fish, right, on a Friday, with a glass of madfish. Mrs Dick, would you join me? Wishing them all a good night. The dungaree couple. <laughs> oh. um, until next week's Fish of Friday, um, take care, stay alive, go by the rules, and watch what you're doing, OK? Slash the man. Good night, some boy. Mm -hmm. Next week. <laughs>